Hey, everybody. Welcome to tonight's Late Night Happy Hour. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky, joined tonight by the voice of the Los Angeles Rams, J.B. Long. Get, he's, he, this is cool because it's your bye week. You should be on a you know on an island somewhere, but instead giving us an hour on a Friday night. We really appreciate it, man. How you been? It's been months since I've been up this late. Although when I am up, you guys are the ones holding it down in this segment of the uh, Twitter sphere. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Do you yeah, watch the show? Do you watch the the second act? We do at three in the morning. Like we, it's like the Pokemon. No, that one, we do one at ten that, and one at three. No, that, that one went past me. Um, but I, I appreciate. Um, the invitation. I'm, I'm sorry that it took a bye week and about three days of election coverage for you guys to finally reach rock bottom and reach out to me. But uh, <laughs> no, it's a long it's list of people, and we're like, well, we, there's JB, and, and we're like, what? Who else? That has who been the impressive thing is is when it does buzz by. I'm like, man, their Rolodex is legit. Uh, who else is on a so, bye? <laughs> is there anybody else on a bye <laughs> other than JB that we can get to? Who's no, the voice we'll of the Jaguars? Are they playing this week? <laughs> get, get some Gardner no, Minshew nice news. Of, uh, instead of hammering away on my boards and trying to fine tune everything for the weekend, uh, I'm just looking forward to you know maybe some cold weather and a little bit of rain and watching some football this weekend if I can get away with it. On the What's your day. opinion about rain? Because my middle my middle child, my my youngest son just yeah. lives and dies for rain. He just thinks it's the greatest thing. He said this morning, when you live in Los Angeles, rain is great. Everyone else doesn't like it. So are you well, a Brian, rain person? How do you and your family treat it? I think that's probably a reflection of like how you approach it as much as anything else. Like if you're somber and cooped up, like we tend to be uh, maybe not so enthusiastic, but if you like throw on the rain boots and get after it, I could see why they're looking forward to it. We may need to try that. I mean, it's to go outside. It's not that cold. I, I don't know. Maybe it's a it's a generational thing, and maybe it's something that I'm simply not aware of happening. And I and I've just it's passed me by. But I don't feel like today's generation of kids are the throw on the slicker and galoshes and go out stomping in puddles that sort of thing. Like that, you know. I'm not even sure our generation did, but we would read about it in books. Like we would <laughs> we would read about kids. Like, you know, Ramona and Beezus and Henry Higgins. I'm putting that on a poll, by the way. When you were a kid and it rained, did you put on, did you actually use the terms slicker and galoshes? I'm I'm trying to make this sound as old as possible, (laughs) but I, I don't actually recall myself doing that all the time. And, and I wonder if actually like, you know, like Beverly Cleary, who I, swear i believe is still with us she's like 103 and i think she's actually still alive and if that's the case good for her but i wonder if even like she is alive she was born in 1916 yeah i wonder she's almost 104 then i i wonder if like her generation actually did that or if that was just something she was told (laughs) to and the whole and like the whole thing's just been a lie like nobody ever did this I don't know. Well, Andy, your uh, your commentary is appropriate only in that we're getting prepared for foul weather at school, and kind of the memo went out like, "Hey, I don't, you know, we're new to the school. How do we treat this? Um, everything is as outdoors as possible. Like we're fortunate to be in person because it's a, you know, a pre-elementary center. Um, so all that to say that you know." Amazon shows up with what looks like a yellow hazmat suit for my four-year-old the other day <laughs> that uh, my wonderful wife was apparently able to track down. And, and and to their everlasting credit, like they're rain or shine, like kids are going to be outside. 
Um, they're insistent that like, you know, a little cold, a little wetness is like not how kids get sick or spread sickness. So come ready to play because they're going to just power through. And based on this uh, galoshes and slicker, whatever you called it, he's going to he's going to be game. I just don't remember the last time like I've seen a kid dressed up as Paddington, you know, like that type of like <laughs> yellow <laughs> slicker and, and those boots like but it, it but it seems like so Americana and something that all of us. It's been part of our consciousness, yet I don't actually recall seeing anybody do it. It, it feels almost like a Yeti, like one of those things that's been passed down from generation to generation that we're, you know, we're told about this mythical being, but it doesn't happen. I don't know about you, but my memories of being in <laughs> Los Angeles and it raining are, are being stuck in traffic. Like when I think of rain yes. in LA, I just think of red lights on the on the 405, basically. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest with you guys. I've mostly been trying to figure out how we can get Beverly Cleary on the show. <laughs> that would be a hell of a guess. Oh my god! Like, I first of all, old people don't sleep, so I mean, I think we know that. So she's probably up. The question is whether or not she can. She has like the connectivity. I think. Do you at least have like a recent photo that you could put in a four box here with us? And I wonder. Whether whether or not could, she... Let me see. If, I, I mean, I I can't date this. No, this is Beverly Cleary turning a hundred. Um, I'm really bad at moving pictures around and putting it into the oh, thing, but I'll try to I'll, figure I'll, it out. I'll get on it. I've, I've usually had more success with I'll the, text you, Andy. I'll text you the photo. She looks good. <laughs> She's a looker for <laughs> I didn't say that. I'm not, Is I'm she, not, it's nothing flirtatious. I'm just saying, I mean, if you, you know look what, at this regular woman, you wouldn't necessarily think she was a hundred. Do you guys often talk about her or did Andy just pull this top of mind? I did. No, Friday night's usually Beverly night. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, I, I didn't know what I walked into. I prepared for lots, but not this. You know what, Brian? I think I'm looking at the same picture you just texted me, and I have to be honest. She looks fantastic. She looks great. See can, if can you I can figure out how to put this on the screen, I'm going to do my best. I'll see if okay. I no promises uh, to you or JB, but I'm going to see if I can do this. And I think we will all objectively agree. She looks phenomenal for her age. Hopefully, I can make this happen. Um. So, like, I what do you, what is this experience? Not this one. I mean, because we know this one's just awesome. Um, but like, what is the what has this year been like? I mean, obviously, unlike any other. But like, how does it work from your end doing what you do? Yeah, I mean, it, kind of micro and macro. This the answer is kind of the same. There are some moments where it feels like life has gone on and not much has changed. And there's other moments where it feels like life is at a complete standstill and turned upside down, both personally and professionally. Right. I know I'm preaching to the choir in that regard. And that's probably not a new refrain uh, for you or the show, but um, with respect to like calling NFL games um, in empty stadiums or even from a remote environment in downtown Los Angeles at LA live, it's um, it's been a lot of things. It's been, uh, seamless and easier than anticipated logistically. In some ways, it simplifies things. It's been um, a total downer because it's been um, brought to my mind like how much of an adrenaline rush and how much of the satisfaction I derive um, is game day and being in, there in person and the 70,000 and walking the field. And uh, for all the right reasons, we are multiple steps removed from all of that this year, um, from training camp and, and weekly practice to game day. And everything in between um and that's i'd be lying if i said that hasn't sapped some of the enjoyment and some of the thrill out of it but who's complaining you know cer certainly not me um and then even just in the process of doing it i i don't think i will ever forget professionally 
Dak Prescott bringing the Cowboys on the field at SoFi Stadium week one, Sunday night football. I mean, this is the primetime game of the week. This is the new season. These are the Dallas Cowboys, and the game is on the line in the two-minute drill. And I'm watching Aaron Donald kind of just jump up and down and, and try and get himself fired up because it feels like we're scrimmaging in the library. Um, and it's just <laughs> it's not what you've come to expect. And Look, I, I think the Rams deserve credit for their fast start. A lot of it, I think, is just being emotionally and mentally ready to to embrace that and to handle that and kind of create their own juice. And I'm not anywhere close to being on their level, but I've had to do a close facsimile of that. You know, I have to coach myself up during commercial breaks. Um, even just this is more inside radio than you guys would ever want. But no, no, no. We we. No, that's, I would, that's why I asked. I think it's you it, know like. I, less to a lesser extent than TV would be, but you know, the, the audience is your third voice. And so when those big moments do occur and the fireworks are going off and Sam Lagana's booming over the SoFi stadium speakers, like I've just trained myself or I've come to expect like that, just kind of momentary pause to let that element get through, filtered through the microphones. Well, guess what? Now, when I listen to like a week one or a week two touchdown call, when I give it that one, 1,000, two, 1,000, I can imagine being on the other end and people being like, what the hell's going on? Um, and so now I have to just keep babbling and just insanely babbling and, and being as excited as I can in rough total silence. Um, so that no matter where you are, where you're tuning in from, you kind of get the gist that, okay, maybe this isn't what we're used to, but like this was a big deal and they just scored a game winning touchdown. Do you, do you, I was so sorry. Do you hear the no, like the fake crowd noise? I was just about to ask. So for the couple of scrimmages I got to attend at SoFi, yes. And it felt like being at, you know, Chavez Ravine on a Saturday afternoon. It's just kind of like that mid-level white noise uh, mm -hmm. where, you know, you know you're at a sporting event, but it's not specific to the pitch by pitch. Um, less so on air. Just I think whether it's the noise canceling or, or maybe it's changed even since uh, we've played a couple of games there now, or maybe it really is the game action and all of the in in-game elements because i'll give uh, our department uh, our production team a ton of credit like they're running it as if there's seventy thousand people there like they are proactively ironing out you know any gremlins and they're putting on a world-class product it's just a shame that no one can see it but I, i'll tell you what like from the officials to the coaches to the players like everyone's benefiting from faking it like it would it could be a whole lot worse like i think a part of the reason why the product that you're watching on tv is so good um, competitively is because of people um, like ours at the Rams and at SoFi Stadium who are doing their best to absolutely fake it. Is Sam Lagana there? Here. Parking's got to be better, as as, as the kid from oh, NYC pointed out. Talk about silver linings. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't I don't know where my real parking spot is <laughs> moving forward, but I know I know where the temporary one. Is. And to you know, getting getting there is usually not as much of a problem because you're early. But uh, you guys having fought, you know, getting into the Coliseum and knowing what that's that's like on MLK, getting into downtown Los Angeles and stuff, to go from that to basically waltzing in to Inglewood, and then especially post game, where I mean, I can be home in thirty minutes from from putting my headset down if I really if I really pushed it. Whereas I can even get to my car in thirty minutes from the Coliseum. Is Sam Lagana there? He is. Oh, is yeah. he still doing the Who's House, Rams House, and, and like oh, he does it all. announcing? So, like, that's where I, I've got to just bite my tongue because, again, when I say it's difficult or it's challenging, I mean that in like the narrowest, most humble senses, right? Um, 
because Sam's got it way worse. Like, unfortunately, <laughs> that comes naturally to Sam. Like, I, I think Sam could do that, like, at, you know, in the shower at the breakfast table in his car. Like, Sam just is Sam, and it comes so naturally and wonderfully for him. I, I'm, I believe it, I'm more introverted. I kind of have to turn it on to, to do my game product. And, you know, at least I know there's some audience, right? Like, right. Sam is performing, you know, for the players and, right. and I was gonna for say, for staff. Those- for those unaware, Sam Lagana is the big voice at at the Rams games. The Who's House Rams House first down, and and he's amazing at it. Like Sam is yes. incredible, but you know that is specifically for the benefit of the fans. I mean, like that's that's one of those things that you know in the age we're living in now, from a fu- you know from a functionality standpoint, you could do that for a television audience without really anybody noticing. But in terms mm-hmm. of in terms of replicating games as Rams players know it, Sam is a big part of that. Well, and the way you just described it is is the perfect example of how much of a two way street that is, right? It's Sam speaking to the home crowd, and and they return, you know, they respond, and yeah. like that's where I I just think it's so fantastic that um, he's able to to just simulate that in his own mind and his own heart and not be put off by the fact that when he says whose house, there is no Rams house coming back at him, at least not from live voices. That's That's just amazing. I I wasn't a hundred percent sure that the answer would be yes. When when you said that, I'm I'm glad to hear that. We love Sam. This is like 0% surprising, even at all, like that that Sam can pull this off, you know, having had, we had him on the show, um, well, he was one of our first guests, actually, and he was just—he was just so. First of all, he's, he's the nicest person, but just nicest. so much enthusiasm for what he does. Yeah, no, he is—he's the perfect fit for that. And um, you know, there there will come a day where like the the grand payoff happens. Like I feel badly on a lot of fronts that this this grand opening didn't take place. But you know, I've I've kind of used this refrain a few times. There's going to be so many grand openings moving forward. Um, that, that I think I will just take such great joy in seeing it through other people's eyes, my family's eyes, my friend's eyes, Rams fans' eyes, that it's like watching your favorite movie or listening to your favorite song with someone who's never experienced it before. You know that kind of um, secondhand enjoyment you can derive from anticipating and kind of knowing what they're going through and watching them experience it for the first time? Like, I think we're going to be doing that for – a decade, I really do. And the place looks spectacular. I mean, it's like I, I've driven by it once, but like you just like the, you see these shots of the inside of the building, and it just looks amazing. I'm not one of these people. It's like you know, it's a stadium, and, and I get it, and whatever. But like this place looks right. unbelievable. So I mean, it must be I don't know the the downer in me, the wet blanket in me, whatever that walks into a new facility and is like. What's wrong with it, right? Like, okay, this is phenomenal, <laughs> but like, what, what, what? If if I gave them a mulligan, what would they do differently? And whether it's Dallas or Minneapolis or Seattle, like all these great NFL facilities, you know, I've kind of got my thoughts on each of them, and I love them all in their own rights. But I've been in SoFi, you know, maybe six times since it really came online, and a bunch of times before that. I'm not sure what you would if you could wave a wand and change something. I'm not sure what it would be. Um, 
and it's it's tough to say it's lived up to its billing because there's there's no comp like you can't say like oh among its five billion dollar peers it's it compares favorably like no this is uncharted territory no but what um, i was going to say it, though not to interrupt you but just the no, please do. The, the idea of stadiums in this city you know it's it's not an apples to apples comparison but lafc dropped a pretty good hammer with their stadium because that place oh, yeah. is amazing so, you know, and again, it's not going to be an apples to apples comparison, but just the idea of, you know, having to match, if not up the ante off mm -hmm. what they did is a pretty good challenge because th that building is gorgeous. I mean, we could do a, a whole night on, on this topic alone, but like some of the highlights I think are it's distinctly L.A. Like for those of you who have been born and raised here and know what that means to you. Like, I think they hit the mark on that for those who might be transplants. They can walk in there and feel like, Hey, you know, this is big time. Um, the video board is obviously the central element. And I, I compare it to Jerry world in this regard. When you go to a game in Arlington, you feel this gravitational force to watch the game above you rather than below you. And I was sensitive to that reality as a fan and as a broadcaster when they built SoFi Stadium, is is that going to be the experience in Englewood too? It's not. It's not. Every seat in that facility has a beautiful sight line to all four corners of the playing surface. And you truly do take the game in live. And then you kind of exhale and take in all the extra visual and audio elements that it has to offer. Um, and honestly, I feel like they should sell separate tickets for like the 10 a.m or yeah, like 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. hour, like whether or not they're playing that day, because there is no better place on the planet to watch Red Zone. Like, honestly, like I, I would pay, I, I won't even mention what I would pay, but like for food and Bev and and that Red Zone experience on an off, like on an off weekend like this one, I would pay top dollar. Okay, that actually raises a good question. The kid from MR, uh, NYC asking, JB, how's the food there? Um, thanks for watching. Thanks for asking. So far, it's served out of like a uh, hermetically sealed uh, brown <laughs> box. <laughs> and it's mostly like packaged peanut butter and jellies and chips. Like I'm not, again, not complaining, but I think it's more just the realities of what we're dealing with. And do, do, you, do, you have it on taking... good, do you have it on good authority that in normal times it's better than that? Like I, I, I heard I, that they I, plan I, to improve upon that. I can't imagine that it will be uh, anything... <laughs> shy of world-class in that regard and, and and at various price points too have you uh and this is a truly inside baseball thing but it matters to me for when i'm eventually able to get back into that building did they oh this is a coliseum thing it probably didn't do they have, no do they have the sparkling water on tap in, in sofi because remember that thing they had that at the coliseum when they rebuilt it and it's amazing it, was awesome. it really the, the, was i mean it's incredible Right. For those of us who've got into like the carbonated water binge, like that's, that's a, oh, a game changer. It's so um, great. They, they don't, they don't even serve coffee yet. Like there's not, so <laughs> I really don't know. Like there, there is no, I don't have a cup with me, but like, there's not a lot of infrastructure. No, like take your, you know, up to the fountain and fill up. It's, you know, it, certain water refrigerators, bottled water refrigerators are limited to certain, you know, credential mm -hmm. tiers. So it's, it's that specified right now. Um, do you find like a silver lining and that just gives you a reason to stay that much further away from DeMarco, this whole thing? 
<laughs> you know what's cool is, I mean, DeMarco's amazing, and, and each week, each year, each season that I work with him, like, I come to appreciate him and Maurice just more and more. Um, but what I've always thought separated DeMarco from a lot of people I've worked with, which is, you know, no slide at any of them, but he sees football from field level as well as anyone I've ever encountered. And that is not easy to do. There's a reason why every coach after every game says, I have to wait and see the film. Like they're watching it at game level and then they want to go see the all 22 to figure it out, to like confirm their suspicions. DeMarco has this stunning ability to understand the crux of every play from ground level, which is just obstructed viewpoints and hundred yards away, no matter how you slice it. And this year, he's not allowed on the field. Neither is Michelle Tafoya or any of, you know, Aaron Andrews or anyone else. Um, but he's brought this kind of new and improved perspective, which is like concourse level, which is almost mm-hmm. a little bit more like that all 22. And I think in some ways it's even easier and better for seeing the action. And look, to have SoFi be empty and you basically give him 360 degrees to roam and see the field. Like these are experiences that I hope are completely confined to this 2020 calendar year and season. And we never have to talk about it again, but in the meantime, like make the most of it. And DeMarco really has to. I thought you were going to say what separates DeMarco more from anybody else is he's insane. (laughs) DeMarco's out of his damn mind. And I, I love the guy, but he is out of his gourd. That dude is different. He is a different dude. He really is special, isn't he? And I'm, I'm glad that you guys have gotten to know him and, and work with him and experience him. And I would I would say those, those three or four hours on game day, too, he's even more different. He's even, you know, he's DeMarco to the 10th power or whatever because he still preps and locks in for game day the, the way he probably did as a player. And, you know, to bump into him 90 minutes before kickoff versus 15 minutes before kickoff versus post game. You know, we're all kind of riding these uh, emotional roller coasters, and it's he's as fun to observe as anyone else. Whereas I tell you what, is the, more it uh, maybe it's something in the water, but it's the analysts in this town. They're just you know between him and Michael, Michael Thompson, you know, from, with the Lakers. There's some <clears> just some odd dudes running around. <laughs> Dude, when I when I first came to town, and and you guys know, uh, you know, he and Trudell working together, and I was fortunate enough to go on with them, and. Uh, even with, you know, despite listening to them and kind of having a feel for their banter of their show, like when Michael hits you with one of his puns and like you're driving and you're trying to like get it on first blush and it, and it misses you and you're like, dang it, I know that I'm the one dropping the ball here, but I absolutely have no idea what he's driving at. How can I get this back on track? Um, oh, yeah, you don't, you you can't. Wait, I mean, like Andy and I, would we hosted po- uh, pregames with Michael for years and it's like, you know, the, you have your scripting. You know, it is JB. You, you're you're prepared. You come with yes. your notes, and you've got your things to talk about. And it's Lakers versus Nuggets, and we're going to talk about you know Michael Porter Jr. Whoever it is, or and 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 Michael Thompson says no. Today we're talking about astronauts, and that's just how it's going to be for the next two or three. Yeah, we, we, we would get notes from our programming director. You know, you, you guys have to keep them more on track. Like you keep them on track. Like <laughs> you try to do this. Like I, you, you sit down with us yeah. during this pregame and you keep Michael on the rails. I like, I challenge you to do that. If, if Michael is in the mood during a Laker pregame show to talk about overseas track and field, that's what we're going to be talking, talking about. about. That's it. And you're, yeah. you're going to have to somehow, yeah, you're just going to somehow try to weave that back to the Lakers if you can. <laughs> and sometimes you simply can't. 
it reminds me of working basketball with Walton, where you have to tailor your preparation. I didn't know you did that. On only on a handful of occasions uh, so far, but it's instead of worrying about you know the players and the stats and the coaches and the narratives, you you prepare for Bill. You prepare for all right. Who are the most famous people celebrating birthdays today? Um, you know what what is going on in the world of like green science on campus where our game is being played because that that's where he is going to take the conversation. And if you're not prepared to retee him or foil him, um, just duck and cover and get out of his way because <laughs> he's not going to let you talk about, you know, going two for one at the end of the first half. I guarantee you. No. Oh, no I, did he eat a candle when you work with him? Oh yeah. He, he, he's, a lovely gentleman. I, I have nothing but positive things to say about him. And I, you know, I, other people have paid him this compliment, but I will too, um, because I think it's the highest that I can offer. He still prepares every game as if it's his first and his last. And there is no player, no manager, no storyline that's too small time for him to pursue. If, if it's something that captures his interest and he thinks is worth bringing to an audience, he will be there during shoot around taking copious notes, asking in-depth, insightful questions, um, and then translating them during a live broadcast to an audience that I think can appreciate them. And and he never fails to tell a personal story that I think um, none of us as his peers would bring to air on a normal Thursday night at Poly Pavilion. Yeah, we Brian and I used to do some work with a, a charitable organization. And one of the events that they did was actually a dinner with Bill Walton at his home in San Diego. And mm-hmm. we went down there with the the winner of the, it was a, I don't remember if it was a auction type a thing raffle. or a raffle. And this dinner, which was, which was fantastic. I, and it was at his, out on his patio at his house. It really, really nice. And it basically was everything you would expect and want with dinner at Bill Walton's house, which is basically mm-hmm. Bill Walton holding court for four hours. Mm-hmm. And every now and then he takes a breath and that's where other people interject. And then he starts back up again. And they're just mm-hmm. incredible stories. Like it doesn't feel like he's dominating the conversation. It feels like everybody on the edge of their seat wanting to know what he's going to say next because he's an amazing storyteller. He really is. And it's it's very spontaneous. It's very organic. You, you guys have probably heard he doesn't talk to his play-by-play guy. On, on day on game day, right? I've never heard that. So, like you know, Dave Pash and Ted Robinson and Roxy Bernstein, a lot of these guys who work more extensively with Bill can tell these stories better than I can. Jason Benetti, another great one. But you know, he when he greets you, let's say it shoot around the morning of a game. Hey, JV, great to you know whatever. A couple of wisecracks, like what does JV stand for? Just barely. Okay, great, we're going with that. He's like <laughs> now, JV, you know, you're. You seem like a wonderful guy. I love the Rams. Um, but just so you know, don't take it personally. We're not going to talk again until we go on the air. He doesn't want to pre-plan. He doesn't want to know where your head's at. He doesn't want to be produced. He wants everything that comes out on air to be totally genuine, unrehearsed, organic, spontaneous. And I think it's a cool model. I, I think it really stands out. I mean, there, there's a reason why it works and there's a reason why he's carved out such an amazing niche. You, you, it can't be off-putting, right? Like you have to have the spirit and the temperament to just roll with it and realize that, you know, this is the show tonight. 
Um, and you know, one of my literally one of my favorite television opening segments ever, you know, is I do the whole, you know, welcome to team A, you know, team B at whatever center. I'm JB, here's a Hall of Famer, Bill Walton. Like, don't even don't even ask him a question, just boom, T takes it and off he goes. And two and a half minutes later, we're we're rolling to commercial or you know, we're throwing it back to studio. And like I, you know, he's clearly not giving it back to me. Um, so I, I am just standing there as some terrible arm candy next to him and a full foot shorter than him. And I just, I just end it with, I concur because we were you know, well past our time and there was nothing else to say. And, and everyone, the, the studio host and the audience, I'm sure were like, Bill's just running roughshod and doing Bill. So it's actually the inverse of working with Michael, which is sometimes you will turn around and Michael will be gone. Gone. Like in, in gone. the middle of a, sh- in the the middle of a live headset. show. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The dangling headset. He's just wandered off to go talk to somebody or like, you know, he'll see some fan that waves at him. And, and you know, Michael's nice to everybody that he ever sees at Staples Center. He's incredible. He's as approachable as you would figure he is if you've ever heard him on air. Like, I mean, he's really nice to everybody, but there will be times where you are live on air and I say something, and I turn around. Michael's not Michael's there. Not I look there. over. And, it's, yeah. and then look, I mean, I, I get it. Seen a lot of basketball games, and and some of these times, like these were some bad seasons. Like Andy and I, Andy and I caught basically the worst. Like people, oh my god, it must be so great. You do radio work on Lakers broadcasts. You must have seen some amazing stuff. I'm, nope, nope. We got the six worst seasons or whatever in Lakers history. For, for the radio um, side. We, for we the radio side. No, we saw some good stuff when we were writing and, and whatever. But, you know, but the the in terms of one loss record, uh, Andy and I, I have to be the, the worst pregame show hosts they've ever had. Um, and I think there were nights where Michael was just like, yeah, I am not not particularly interested in what's happening before the game between a 14 win Lakers team and a 17 win Charlotte squad. You guys are on your own. Well, I mean, I, I can tell in knowing how many uh, other interests and the diversity of those interests he has, I'm, I'm sure the middle of a, uh, a slog is not going to capture his attention when he's got better options. I've only okay. had like one true instance of that, the dangling headset. You guys remember Ernie Kent, of course, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, had the great run at Oregon and um, good broadcaster too. And, and between his time at Oregon and Washington State, I, I paired with him for a couple of seasons. And he had a flight to catch uh, out of Denver one time. We we're doing a game in Boulder. Um, and he was going to cut it real tight. Like, you know, the car service was running outside the arena, apparently come to find out. But I, th- I think it was UCLA actually kind of came down the court and had, you know, a slim chance of getting a buzzer beater up. And I kind of call it miss shot, game over, final horn. And, you know, we got 90 seconds to the end of show. And I kind of, you know, lay out for Ernie. I think I even verbally tossed it to Ernie only to turn around and see that it's an empty chair with a headset because he was on his way to the airport. You know, you know, final score, final horn, he, he's gone. Um, so, yeah, I, I can see how that'd be a little, headset. I, I can see how that'd be a little, a little bit uh, unnerving uh, <laughs> as, as Lakers host, but I mean, aren't you guys kind of glad to have had that? Like, there's, there's oh, no God, yeah. I, I, I love, um, love working with Michael. It's, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I didn't, I didn't have a whole lot of interest in what was happening with a 14-win Lakers like team and a 17-win Charlotte squad either. I'd rather talk about Michael and, you know, all the weird crap he's into. Yeah, we both like, you know, unpredictable, freewheeling weird. Like, we like that. You just, you have to know that that's what it's going to be. Like, if, say, you sat down to work with, like, if you got paired with Michael and you really didn't know anything about him, 
I could see somebody be like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. Yeah. But if, if you know Michael, he's the best because just you have no idea where anything's going to go. We both we both enjoy that. That's fun. That's really fun. And yet here you are pigeonhole with this uh, straight lace late night happy hour social media show where you have to really keep it on the straight and narrow. So. Oh, yeah. We, we, we're really regimented on this one. <laughs> we really very strict talking points that everybody has to stay with. Um, yeah, I, I, I got to be admit, I didn't put a whole lot on my board. <laughs> no, nor should you. Hey, yeah, I, so, I really do. I really do miss your writing, though, as much as anything. I mean, I love you guys as broadcasters, right. too. You know, I've always um, been a fan of, of you guys on the radio and uh, reporting from from our games and other games and stuff. But, um, you know, getting to know you guys as writers, too, was uh, thank you. Thank you. eye opening for that. me, kind of kind of catching up to your careers a little bit late in the process. So um, I hope you get a lot more of that in the years ahead of Thank you. I mean, you're already here. I mean, the invitation's already out. You you can stop now. No, okay. but, but like um, you know, someone once told me as like an aspiring broadcaster, never stop writing because you know how you write becomes how you speak. And um, but that's hard to do. And you guys do it both well. And I think people who have that trait and, and pursue it and work on it, I always like to shout out because as a consumer of that content, um, I dig it. I really what do you t- what do you tell people? Because I'm sure you get this all the time. How do I get into broadcasting? How do I do this? And I swear to God, people on the chat, we will talk about the Rams here in a minute. Uh, but the the um, because we get this a lot. You know, I'm interested in sports writing. I talk to I'll talk to any kid. Andy is the same way. We used to go to USC and talk to those guys. You know, because we know we always know who's teaching that class in any given year. When you get that you know, kind of in the state of media today, what do you tell people? I say, don't ask me, don't ask Brian, don't ask Andy. We're all too old and our model doesn't work anymore. Like I obviously would not do it the way that I did it. Um, And any suggestion that I would have would be a total shot in the dark in the current climate. Um, Yeah. I mean, shoot, you might, you might as well like start building a following as a, as a high school hot take artist for all I know. And, and maybe you'll have a big enough brand that someone will take a shot on you coming out of school. But um, I, I wouldn't recommend uh, majoring in finance and getting kicked out of an investment banking interview in November of your senior year as a way to get into it. That's kind of how I What did you I do? Wait, wait, you do. Well, I mean, just, just because they knew I was faking it. They, they knew I'd, my heart wasn't in it. Um, and what, what was the dead giveaway? My probably my resume. Um, I was wearing this hat backwards, just like I <laughs> backwards. Am. Yeah, yeah, right. Were, yeah. were you interviewing with Colin Cowherd? Was that the problem? <laughs> you, had, you had a backwards hat on. He didn't like it. He didn't like it. Um, gosh, I should have thought of that. You guys don't have a dress code, do you? No. Not. <laughs> All right. Good. Um, yeah, it's this. No, it was just. Um, you know, speaking of bad years, I mean, my, my four years at Notre Dame were like the worst. You know, on-field yeah. years in in a generation. I had. I came in with the last year of Bob Davey, had a quick moment with George O'Leary before his resume scandal, uh, had all of Tyron Willingham and then Charlie Weiss on the way out. So um, all that to say, I was there because I was an adrenaline junkie. I wanted to be around sports. I'd figured out that I could travel to all the away games and tailgate for the home games by becoming the radio station sports director and assigning myself as such. Um, And then I happened to be dorm mates with Charlie Ebersol, son of Dick Ebersol, you know, basically the architect of the modern Olympic broadcast at NBC. And quite frankly, I leveraged that connection into an internship at the Athens Olympics, my junior 
senior summer rather than going and doing what I should have been doing according to my academic path. And by the time I came back, one, I was hooked because I had just done 31 consecutive days in Athens, terrible Olympics for USA basketball. But for me, it was um, 30 days getting to know Mike Breen and Annie Myers and Doug Collins and the late Craig Sager. And, you know, you come off of that and you, you try and think that you're going to wear a suit and tie to work every day and, and put in 40 hours a week and they see right through you. Um, especially when you can't do a discounted cash flow to save your life anyway. So um, <laughs> at, at that point, they're like, dude, you don't, you don't want to do this. Um, go follow your heart. It'll be fine. If it doesn't work out and you want to come back to this, you know, go get your MBA and try again and, and we'll see you then. So, um, you know, if, if I could have one business card back, you know, I don't, business cards probably aren't even a thing anymore, but like I if I could that. have a mulligan speaking of, I would, I would, I would pay a pretty sum to have that gentleman's business card because he did me life's greatest favor. I mean, he set me on a course that uh, has so far meant I haven't worked a day in my life, uh, eventually led me to my wife and now my children and Los Angeles and the Rams and everything else. So um, yeah, that's, that's my long, long story short. That's way yeah, that's better really than cool. the story I tell people, which is, yeah, go try. You might want to find something different. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's a nice way to get yourself off the hook in terms of having like meaningful conversations and giving true advice. It's like, don't do what I did. That's yeah. I mean, look, it, it it is a really fun industry when it's working, but it is a tough industry, and it's a particularly tough industry now. And that that's the thing. Yeah. Every time we've been in these type of classes, that's actually what we tell all these students, like. You really have to want to do this more than mm. anything else, because like, you know, if you reach the one percenters, you could make a lot of money. But like even the drop off between like the one percenters and the five percenters can be pretty steep. And then when you start getting to like yeah. the middle class of the industry, it can be pretty tough and everything's shrinking. And again, it's not to say that there aren't fun elements to it or really cool things that you get to be a part of because you do. And you just have to be ready for the idea that it is a very volatile, ever-changing industry that I think nobody quite knows where it's going to go. You just have yeah. to know that. And don't you think too, from your own experiences, you have to be bought into the journey. Like if you're going to be someone, and I've I've had to resist this in my own nature too, that's, that's bitter about where you are, feeling like you should be somewhere else. Like it's not going to work for you and, and, and you're not going to love it along the way. Like I, I think the best thing that I have to say about my process and my journey is like, I, I think fondly of Friday nights in Eastern Iowa with a camera on my shoulder, like trying to hustle through three high school football games so that I can get back and cut a highlight and get on the air. Right. Like that was by no means glamorous. There were probably 13 people watching it. Um, but I had a blast and, and in a different way than I'm having a blast now, obviously. But if I did have a, a serious, like, you know, sober, piece of advice for anyone who might be listening and, and kind of glean something off of it. It's like, enjoy the journey, which is cliche. But if you don't, it's, it's tough to get to the destination because you, you will burn out in an industry that's built on no, on, on being told no. So. Um, let me see here. Cause I, I just want to double, I, I know Andy, well, we'll see if we get to it. Um, no, we do have a game and we do have a game. Way, yeah, by the way, well, I do want to make sure we pull this up. Uh, Miss Beverly Cleary. That's what oh, I was asking you. I wanted to find I mean, that lady, that's when she was 100. She's now 104. Like, damn. She looks fantastic for she looks 100. great. 
That's pretty amazing how she looks. Like, where is she living? I don't. She lives know. in Oregon. And you know that makes really? sense, actually. I I, yep. think I recall that, but yeah, I, it's not like I knew that before I looked it up. But like, uh, yeah, Beverly clearly lives in uh, McMinnville, Oregon. And that that is a very youthful looking one hundred. And you know, I sure I would imagine that up from a hundred to one hundred four, she still looks great. So good for her. It's fantastic. McMinnville um, is the county seat and largest city in Yamal County, Oregon. Um, it looks like it's sort of in it's uh, in the northwest portion of it, which I presume is probably near Portland or something like that. Uh, so have, there you have go. Their precincts reported yet, Brian? <laughs> no, <laughs> I only know I only know uh, counties now. Like we're all experts in in you know DeKalb County and and all the in in you know these places, but nobody cares about Oregon because we all knew it was how that was going to work. Like they didn't, my kids, because we were watching election coverage on Tuesday and my kids didn't understand like how, like they knew the answer for Oregon. Like it was seven o'clock or eight o'clock, whatever time it is close. And instantly they call Oregon and Washington. And like my kids were like, wait, how come they know that already? I'm like, well, um, and we had to kind of explain all that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I assume Beverly clearly, clearly got out there and exercised her uh, rights this week. I can't keep her away from the things about uh, being a father. It turns out that it's just one giant vocabulary quiz. Um, Basically, I don't know if you guys have lived that existence. Oh, and, yeah. and then this week, there's been a, a lot of uh, adult geography going on too. <laughs> I don't know about your about your house. Oh my god! I I came to realize I'm embarrassingly bad at looking at a blank map and knowing which state is which. Because like you know, when this be in the beginning of it, you know, when they're starting to like call certain states. Like mm -hmm. you would see something go either red or blue, and you're like, "Wait a minute, that 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 can't pop." Oh wait, that's not that. <laughs> like that that's mm -hmm. that's Indiana, dummy. That's not <laughs> Illinois. <laughs> I mean, like it's just it's embarrassing. I'm going through. Did all that really happen to you? No, or you're mixing I, up states. Like I, that? No, I'm just going. No, not those two states. I know where Illinois is. I I grew up. You grew up in Florida. St. Louis. You better right. know. I know what Illinois is. Jesus. I, I just threw those two out because they happen to be very politically. But in all seriousness, so Andy, how many states are you really? I mean, I okay, you know, Rhode Island. It's a tiny little one, or like you know, you flip flop New Hampshire and Vermont. Like, like how many states are you confused about? Blank. Yeah, in a blank map. Like, if you had to fill in a blank map of the U.S. today, and I said you have to get forty-five states correct, Ooh. please tell me that's not the game we're actually playing tonight. No, no it is not. Uh, my, my Wi-Fi will crap out in a that's <laughs> forty-five. Could you get forty-five states if I gave you a blank map? Oh boy, those East I Coast. Mean, for fuck's sake, Andy, two of them are Alaska and Hawaii. <laughs> you know where those are. Those East Coast ones would be brutal. They're I, I, tricky. Do you have a printer in that office? Try it. I feel like I could get at least 40. <laughs> I do think I could get 40. Like the worst version of uh, Name That Tune. I could fill that map in with 10 states. Well, I, also, I could do 15 states. Also feeling a bit How of a pressure. How about these men and women doing addition and subtraction on, on live TV in front of millions of people? Oh, that clip of Kornacki doing the, the vote total like as it pops up. Uh, and he sees it on his phone. And he's like, oh, I think they just got 12,000. And he does the math. And then they update the map. And it's perfect. That was one of the most amazing moments of Dell television i've ever seen yeah that guy's a, a god <laughs> yeah um all right really impressive it was so we have andy's game and we've we've shown everyone the picture of beverly cleary um all right i will ask a rams question 
how they're they're halfway through. Yeah. Every time for me, I, like I, they are better than I thought they would be. I, I 100% and you know, I was just a little skeptical coming into the year. They're better than I thought they would be. But there was, there've been all these moments where you almost look at them and you say, okay, they might be one of not just one mm-hmm. of the, like one of the elite teams in the league. Yeah. And then you have a Miami game. How good is this team halfway through? Well, I think you 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 hit it. I mean, you've got the pulse. It's been tantalizing and. Um, you know, panic inducing at the same time. And when you mix in the fact that the bulk of their wins have come against what many people see as the worst division in modern NFL history, there's a lot to undermine about a five and three record. I get it. Um, And of course I'm going to paint an optimistic picture. I think the fact that um, they do have five wins and are halfway to a playoff spot, at least despite being uh, in the bottom tier of special teams, despite um, being inconsistent on offense, uh, is is a positive, not a negative, is, is something that lends optimism. But by the same token, you look at the second half of the schedule and instead of Tua making his first NFL start, it's Tom Brady. And, you know, instead of Kyle Allen getting knocked out and turning it over to Alex Smith playing for the first time since an injury that almost cost him his life. It's going to be Russell Wilson in the midst of an MVP season. And, and it's, and it's going to look different and they're going to have to play different. Um, now the narrative will either be the Rams put it together and finally started playing complimentary complete football and showing up in all three phases, or it's going to be, you know, we saw the signs in the first half of the schedule. They just weren't playing opponents capable of exploiting their deficiencies. So, um, you know, I, I think the other thing too is you have to, I, I can't explain it having not gone through it myself, but there's something about playing your division opponents that whether their roster is better than yours or worse than yours, or they're healthy or they're hurt or they're playing well, they're, they're clicking, you know them and you play them better and differently than you play the other teams on your schedule. We got a taste of that when the Rams mm-hmm. lost to a wounded 49ers team and they look like gangbusters. And we knew they were going to look like gangbusters. They were the cornered animal and they played like it. I think there will be elements of that in Seattle, Los Angeles, in Arizona, Los Angeles, and in the rematch between San Francisco and Los Angeles too. Well, I mean, look, to your to your point, the, the first year that the Rams were in LA and they were terrible, they would still match up really well against Seattle. You know, when they were still yes. like a young team really trying to figure out who they were, even as they were proving under Sean McVay. They would match up well against you know a Seahawks team that was perennially in that mix. I think that familiarity, you know that that's a big part of it. It seems like in the beginning of the season they looked like they were settling in on being a run first offense, and then as the season's gone along, it felt like they've gotten away more from that. And then as a result of that, it doesn't seem like they really know what they are offensively. A, do you have an idea of why that's happened? And B, what's your sense of what's going to be happening after the bye? And do you agree too with that? That because I'm not sure I do. Well, you you you're informing. I mean, you give your spin on it, and then I'll I'll kind of make sense of heads or tails. I mean, we're we're coming off a game where Jared Goff threw 61 times, and that felt very pass heavy. <laughs> okay, right, but it, it was more like the the first half skew, like when you. So what bothers me and bothers everyone who follows Rams football about that one, including Sean McVay, is when you have a 7 nothing lead and after three drives, you know two is getting nothing against your defense for the rest of the day. 
whatever that, uh, you know, next gen win percentage is, it should be in the eighties, nineties, right? Like you should be able to ground and pound your way to at worst an ugly road win and six and two at the buy. And that's not what happened. Um, and I think that's, what's a little bit disconcerting. And, you know, I agree with Sean McVay in the sense that that was not the Patriots game plan necessarily. Um, but there were elements of it in terms of challenging Jared, daring him to beat them and making sure that the things that he and this offense do well are not going to be the elements to do it. And I, and I, to your point about, um, you know, Andy early season kind of eroding a little bit, I, I think, you know, to Sean's everlasting credit, like he took what happened in December and modified it a little bit and got, got after Dallas, got after Philadelphia, made sure that for the benefit of his offensive line, which they doubled down on after a rough year for the benefit of Goff, they were putting them in position to succeed. They revamped the run scheme um, with a portfolio of running backs that were able to attack all the holes that maybe, you know, Todd was, was not able to at the end of his Rams tenure. Um, But the fastest evolving species in sports is an NFL defensive coordinator. And so sooner rather than later, you're seeing these teams blitz the backside, you know, of a run play to make sure that that keeper game doesn't get out the backside. And, and I, you know, Seattle's not a press man cover zero team, but there's going to be some elements of that because now everyone has seen once again, that that is indeed the best way to try and beat the Rams. And, and the challenge that we're all kind of dancing around here is, are you willing to run against the you know expected yards per play of passing versus throwing? Are you willing to kind of just play that three yards in a cloud of dust style and let Johnny Hecker do his thing? And if it means winning, you know, 17-10, so be it. Or do you need to be the team that finishes in the top tier of point production and, and puts up big numbers? Because um, they're certainly capable of that. There's no reason they can't be that team. They have the personnel to do it. They have done it at various junctures this year. It's just a question of, is that the best way to win week by week against Seattle and then at Tampa Bay and, and home to San Francisco and on and on. Yeah. Cause it's funny. Like I, 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 you know, Sean, Sean McVay, whenever the team loses, will say, you know, I need to do better and, and so on and so on and so on. Mm-hmm. This was, this was the first game. And like, he wasn't the one putting the, you know, fumbling. He, you know, I thought, Goff just had a terrible game. And they, you know, he did. Yeah. there's some things about how he plays that I'm still a little bit, always a little bit nervous about. I'm not the only person who worries about what he does when the, you know, when there's not a clean pocket and, you know, when he, you know, all the, all that stuff, he goes off script. But, you know, by any objective Jared Goff measure, he played a terrible game and it happens. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I feel like, I don't feel like Sean McVay is trying to impress anybody anymore with sort of the flashiness of the offense i think he's adjusted to that and you know when he when he talks like he did on on sunday about needing to be better to me it felt like one of the first times where he says that after every game and he's not just covering for his players i mean there was a little bit of that because the players weren't very good either but he wasn't very good in that game and but i think overall i feel like this is much more of a running or possessionish sort of passing team than certainly it was in some ways, even when they had Gurley, like and Gurley was Gurley. I, I think a lot of what you said is super insightful and there's a lot to unpack there. Um, you know, I think on the one hand, there's an equilibrium between risk reward on any given play concept and design. Right. And, and we should point out that Jared has a say in this too. 
like after the play clock gets to 15, like if he checks out of a running play to a pass play, like that's, that's on him. That's not Sean saying, you know, but could you be a little more limiting in, in your play call and structure? Sure. Um, but anyways, what I'm saying is I think Sean is a go for the jugular personality and play caller. And I think he's always been a nice compliment for Jared because Jared's cool as a cucumber and, you know, whether he's high or he's low, his performance is pretty steady. He's always able to get up from a big hit, those types of things. So I, I think it's a nice union in that regard. But you're right in the sense that um, sooner or later, you have to dial down that risk-reward quotient to make sure that your quarterback is not in positions where if he does make a mistake, it's costing what is potentially an elite defense a chance to win a game. By the same measure... I don't think the appropriate response when the opposing defense is daring your quarterback, your franchise mm -hmm. quarterback to beat them is to not put him in a position to beat them. Like you don't cower from cover zero, you try and kill it. And, and I think that's where he's, he sensed the frustration and the disappointment in the one game that Jared had that we're talking about is because he did not, especially early on when it mattered, make them pay for the risk. There were, there were opportunities in that game. I mean, he missed some guys. There were some bad there throws. Were answers. The plays there were, were answers. there. And the other thing is, like, this is more uh, kind of macro within modern football is Jared is not Russell Wilson. He's not Mahomes. He's not Kyler. He's not Lamar. And that's fine. That's fine. But if you're going to be that breed of quarterback, you almost by definition then have to be able – to beat defenses and plans yeah. like that yeah. on platform pre and post snap. And I think that's where a lot of the discomfort comes from right now is Jared's not going to grow for three speed over the bye week, but he does have it here and, and he can process quicker and better and speed it up through his, his throwing motions so that he doesn't get caught in kind of the strip sack fumble mode. I mean, it was, it was a four turnover game for a reason. Andy, yeah, tell me your theory about Jared running and see if Toby agrees. <laughs> the, he's okay. Let me preface this by saying I think he's gotten better along these lines. But Jared Goff during his rookie year, and granted, there was a lot going on with that, and it was an absolute mess. And when he finally got on the field, he was you know being put in the position to just get killed. But the first few times I saw Jared Goff run, he looked like somebody who had never run before. And, like, I don't mean, like, running a game. I mean, like, literally had never engaged in the act of running. <laughs> like, he was one of the most awkward-looking runners I've ever seen. And really? I, I, I do think he's gotten better. Like, you know, he's somebody that can, you can roll him out at times. Aesthetically, he looks better as a runner. He, he, yes. If nothing else, I guess he's going to, like, a running coach. And, you know, like, somebody that, if nothing else, could train you to look like you could run in a movie. Like, something like that. And, he, and he's gotten better. But when you think about you know, because he's still, he's a young quarterback. He's among the least mobile young quarterbacks, I think, in the league. You know, I mean, you know, you the guys that you mentioned are obviously way more mobile, but Josh Allen is more mobile. I think even a guy like Gardner Minshew is more mobile than he's really Jared. Mobile. Yes, um, like, but he's just not somebody that necessarily gets thought of that way. And it's going to be, I think, a challenge for, for Sean McVay and for Jared and the entire offense not that I think you can't succeed that way, but then, but there are certain things that you can't do. You know, there, there for for a guy like Sean McVay who is really creative and I think likes to have different options in front of him. It's, 
don't want to say frustrating because I don't want to speak for Sean McVay that I've never had this type of conversation with him. I would have no idea, but I, I would think it would just be interesting to know what goes in his head for somebody like him to have to deal with just limits. You know what I mean? Because he, he's a very expansive thinker. And I, I would be curious to know just how he approaches the idea of something being limited that you really can't fix, as opposed There's to a Jared, section of the sort of a section right, of the playbook, right? As opposed to Jared just getting better as a quarterback, which I think he can do and and has done. Those are the type of improvements that can't get made. But there's certain things, particularly in the modern NFL, that you you increasingly look for in a quarterback that Jared just won't be able to do. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's never going to threaten you and change your math on the perimeter like like Kyler or like Lamar is. But I, I think there's plenty of pros that come with that. And Jared's uh, been available and has hardly taken a snap off, certainly not a game off in, in the time that he's I've been tough, man. He's, oh, he's really big, tough. Even going back to his college days. And, and I'm not here to... Uh, argue about his foot speed or like play uh, Jared Goff running quarterback. <laughs> you have to know which hills to die players. on, JB. That's not the right, right one. But I mean, find me a quarterback who rolls left and right and throws with accuracy the way that 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 he can. Yes. Um, some of Jared's biggest plays, um, including uh, in that thriller against the, the Kansas City Chiefs, have actually been running plays. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. he's, what is it, three years maybe in counting with multiple rushing touchdowns. So it's not that it that it's um, a strength of his game. It's not a focal point of his game. Um, but I don't think it's it's as much of a deficiency as it's thought to be because of maybe his um, aesthetically displeasing <laughs> running style. Yeah. He can run. He's not a scrambler. There's a difference. Right. He, he can but I do think correct. it's like the games like Miami stick out now because there are game, you know moments, you know, the first half against Dallas, all these, you know, where you just go like, damn. Like, because you've seen it now when it looks good and when he's yeah. on point and it's when he opens up I, with 13 in a row yeah yeah and it's like i and, and andy knows i mean i i i am still golf skeptical um but there are moments where you completely get it and you're and this is a this is exactly why the guy was a, a number one pick and and all of that and it, it's it's those moments that make the miami moments really stick out so in that sense it's it's it is a remind, you know, a game like Sunday is a reminder of, of what it's supposed to be. Yeah, and it's, it's tough to sit on Sunday for two weeks. But to go back in time two weeks, even though they lost that game in San Francisco and his disconnect with Cooper Cup in particular, I think colored that loss in a way that made it seem like that was Jared's fault. or that. And certainly there were a couple of plays if he had made that result might be different. But what I love about the modern um, evaluation of quarterbacks is you can dig a little bit deeper than that and and you can assign, um, well, like on, on the one hand, sacks to quarterbacks instead of offensive linemen, but conversely, you know, failures to receivers and and, and drop touchdowns uh, in that game that stand out that if, if they pick Jared up, I think he's got a, a signature win there. And more specifically to our current conversation, I think he handled pressure and was mobile within the pocket. Forget the, you know, the RPO stuff, but mm -hmm. mobile within the pocket to extend plays and keep his eyes downfield and, and playoff schedule in a, in a way that I think was as impressive as any game this year and maybe throughout his entire career. So I think the disappointment or the frustration that I sense is in part because my hope for Jared was that that was his new floor, that, 
in a game that people feel like, hmm, he didn't really nail that moment. He was pretty good. He was good enough to win. And unfortunately, I think even in a winning effort against the Bears after that, he wasn't as good. And certainly um, against the Dolphins, by his own admission, that was a disaster. So um, however many steps forward, a couple steps back, uh, you know, I, I think Jared will have some really nice moments in the second half. And, and honestly, like, um, you know, I, I, I do not couch this as a, as a referendum on, on his career, but I do think it's a critical juncture in terms of you've got a winning record, you've got an expanded playoff field, you're in the best division in football, and you've got five out of eight games against NFC West from here on out, um, starting with, what, Russell Wilson and then Tom Brady. Um, so he's been really good against his peers. I mean, he got Dak, he got Wentz, he played Josh Allen, all the way to the final moment. So, you know, let's not, let's not kind of lose the 30,000 foot perspective, even though we're digging deep here. Well, it's interesting that you bring up all those guys that are going to be seeing in the second half and the second half for the Rams is definitely going to be uh, more challenging. It's also going to be really interesting to see how this defense reacts to that too, because they, they've been really good. And I, I think the, the introduction to Brandon Staley and this new scheme that he wants, you know, that he wants to be running and, and the principles that he wants to put in, it's been really good. Um, what, what have you seen that, that stood out to you in terms of, you know, it transitioning well and stuff? Because I, I know I was a little bit concerned with just the idea of, okay, they, they're not going to get a proper training camp, you know, or normal one, if nothing else. They're not going to get the preseason. Like, how, how much time will this actually take for them to figure it out? You know, the, the linebacking core had a lot of questions. They've been really good. They have been. And I'll start with with this disclaimer so that no one accuses me of kind of drinking the Kool-Aid. They played some really bad offenses, you know, some really yes. bad offenses. Um, that Washington game in the rain uh, was a total slog and played right into their hands. Um, you know, Carson Wentz and, and Peterson and the Eagles are not the championship team that we've become accustomed to. Um, you know, they've had some good ones along the way too, Allen and Diggs and Buffalo. But, you know, I think – in aggregate, they played a defensive-friendly schedule to this point, let's say. Um, and they've had some moments against Buffalo and San Francisco where when the competition was up to snuff, they've missed some opportunities. That being said, to have played eight games and only have one opponent score a second-half touchdown against you? That's the thing. Yeah. It's still the NFL. Like, let, let's, let's yeah. be serious. Like, that's legit. And – Jalen Ramsey is different this year, whether it's because, you know, he's, he's been here for a full offseason, disrupted though it was, or whether the Staley system is perfectly suited and tailored to him, which I think it is. Um, you know, Aaron Donald is having another defensive uh, player of the year caliber season. But I, I also give a lot of respect and, and kudos to the supporting cast, because if you have Jalen over here, whoever's over there becomes maybe the most important player yeah. in your team yeah and Darius Williams um has not just survived but thrived likewise for Troy Hill um and you know have they gotten enough on the edge as maybe they would have hoped no but Leonard Floyd has had his moments he's been a nice free agent signing and then this kid they drafted Terrell Lewis um is a first round talent um who had some injury questions and fell to them deeper and I think he'll be ready to roll and now you add Ashawn Robinson in the middle too I think it has the potential to be even better with Jordan Fuller at safety coming back. Should have mentioned him too. Yeah, that was my question. When is when is he due to come back? Because that that's it was six round pick and he's been unbelievable. I mean, he he basically played three games in the first half, and I think he's their rookie of the year, which is 
bananas um, in, in many regards. Uh, I, I think where they put him on IR where he gets three weeks plus the buy, mm-hmm. you know, you can come off after three, three weeks, but they kind of stole an extra week there. I think everyone's hope was Seattle coming back. Um, I'm, I'm not breaking any news here, giving any hints. I, I'm not as confident maybe, uh, based on Sean McVay's reaction to his prognosis in the second half. Last time I spoke with him on air. Um, so hope to be wrong on that. Hope he is ready to roll in, in week 10. But shortly thereafter, if not against the Seahawks. Anyway, all that to say, um, I think this defense's best days are ahead of it. That being said, their competition gets a lot stiffer. And so their results might not be nearly as dominant. But that's kind of that's what's awesome about this schedule ahead is the Rams could play very well and and wake up five and five. Like they could play Seattle and Tampa Bay very well and lose both games. Yeah. Um that's just a, that's a reality. And that's what's uh, incredible about being in the NFC West and, and in the NFL. Yeah. That division is so good. So it's, it's a really like we were, we, who are we talking about this with um, Brian? Uh, was it Ted? Uh, it Ted Wynn. Yeah, it was Ted Wynn. Yeah, we you know, this was before San Francisco's injuries kind of piled back up again when it looked like they were getting healthy. There was, I think there were four and three and or three and two, whatever it was. I think there were, but four just the three. idea of like, you know, three, all four teams. Four, yeah. Theoretically, three or four, maybe playoffs. four and four. Like they just, it's really, really talented. I mean, San Fran, I, I don't know how much longer they can outrun no, the done. injury issues they've been having, but they're I mean, it, it's, it's a tough, yeah, tough, that was with yeah. Garoppolo coming back and Mostert coming right. back and, you know, Kittle healthy. Like you, Oh, because I mean, it wasn't right. that long ago they were in the Super Bowl and all. Um, where you look at it with the with the extra playoff spot, all four of those teams could theoretically make the playoffs if they didn't have to play each other the whole time. What an awesome guy Ted is too. I'm a big fan of his. Oh, he's awesome. No, he's Ted great. great. Ted does great work. Um, should we get yeah. to the game? Depends what it is. Um, it's a quiz. It's a multiple uh, choice or true false type quiz. Um, oh, those type of thing, but it's based on. JB, you're a man that is uh, famous going by your initials. I don't even know what JB stands for. I actually tried to Google it and I couldn't figure it out. But uh, just barely, according to Bill Walton. <laughs> <laughs> well, ju- just barely long. Um, you are, again, known for that. So I've got a quiz regarding different people who also go by with their fir- uh, first names, their initials. Um, I'm going to ask questions of you and Brian. You both get opportunity to answer them, and I will tabulate and keep score. Um, to begin, J.A. Adonde, long time with ESPN, the LA Times, now teaching at Northwestern. He has appeared on Around the Horn 1,223 times, according to Wikipedia, 316 wins. According to the most recent Wikipedia entry, over or under top five all-time for wins with 316. Over or under top five all-time, Brian goes first. I will say under. JB. I'm trying to think of five names that would surely be ahead of him, right? Like Plashke's got him, right? Can't say. Uh, the don't guy be, from Denver. Don't be trolling for hints. <laughs> you went under. Can I? I, I don't. I can. I can. We agree can agree. agree. No, we can agree. You, you can totally agree. I don't think he's top five. You are both correct. He is sixth all time. He he's got seven wins below Kevin Blackstone. For number five, number one overall, who do you guys think? If you had to guess, number one overall. Woody Page? That is correct. It is Woody Page. Next, J.B. Smoove uh, from Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. 
What video game does he do a voice for? Grand Theft Auto, NBA 2K, Red Dead, Red Dead Redemption, Call of Duty. You go first now, JB. Red Dead Brian? Redemption. Brian. I will go... I'll go Call of Duty. Ah, you're both wrong. It's Grand, Grand Theft, Theft Auto. Auto. Grand Theft Auto 5. He appears as Dr. Ray D'Angelo Harris, the host of the Chakra Attack radio show. Huh. Wait, one character in one season of that video? I thought game? I see, I thought I thought that was gonna be too I thought that was like the sucker bet. Like, of course it would be Grand Theft Auto. And that's why I ran away from it too. Yeah. Sometimes you got to go. Sometimes you got to go with what seems obvious. J.D. Salinger, obviously best known for the book Catcher in the Rye, in the book, the main character Holden Caulfield has a brother who, interestingly, goes by DB initials and has chosen a profession that greatly upsets Holden because he thinks it's for phonies. What is the profession? Lawyer, screenwriter, cop, politician. Brian goes first. He's a lawyer. JB. I have to admit, I am an avid reader. I have uh, an Excel spreadsheet of book recommendations, and I have never read this one. Really? really? I know. Did you not go wow. to high school? I don't know. And every time someone brings it up, I'm like, oh, yeah, I definitely need to read that. And then a month or a year goes by, and I completely forget about it, and I don't get around to it. Um, well. You guess lawyer. To me, that that also feels like the sucker one. Uh, what was the other screenwriter? Screenwriter oh, in this moment. In this moment, but politician was one, right? Yes, politician was one. Uh, in this moment, I'll go with politician. Uh, screenwriter. He considers him a phony for becoming a screenwriter. Wow. Uh, a Hollywood phony. And, and Holden Caulfield, if you eventually read this book, JB, hates phonies. JD Riznar, friend of uh, the podcast, helped uh, invent and popularize the phrase yacht rock. With his popular web series Yacht Rock, uh, began in 2005, uh, all these different people playing different Yacht Rock icons. In the first episode, which Yacht Rock icon was suffering through crippling writer's block? Kenny Loggins, Christopher Cross, Daryl Hall, or Michael McDonald? JB goes first. Is Loggins a writer, songwriter? Maybe he is. Maybe he was all. You think Messina was doing all the work over there? <laughs> Screw that. I have guy. no idea on this one. I'll go with Loggins. Brian, I'm going. Uh, I'm going McDonald. It is Michael McDonald. In, yeah. in this sketch, uh, they help him uh, create the song "What a Fool Believes." J.K. Rowling. The K in J.K. is actually an invented middle name. This is true hmm. because. She didn't have one at birth, and her publisher wanted her to go by initials because they thought the target audience of boys wouldn't be as eager to buy a book written by a woman. Her name is Joan Rowling, which... I can just picture a bunch of like 12-year-old boys going, a dame writer? I'm not picking up that book. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, this is the truth. This is actually... this is this. None of this I is I really like my wizard true. books written by a man. It was Joanne Rowling... What did she decide arbitrarily that the K stood for in J.K. Rowling? Karen, Kathleen, Chris, or Kelly? Brian goes first. I'm going to say Karen, and I think she regrets it now. <laughs> did you see the surprising uh, popularity of yes. that name saturation, by the way? I forget uh -huh. when that graph made the rounds in the last couple of days. 
uh, Kelly. It turns out it's like Barbara's who, um, but also too, like there's like the mo- like Karen. They also did one based on like your political affiliation, and apparently Karens are mostly Democrats. It's actually That's Barbara's. The one I saw. Yeah, um, but the, is, the name value the the popularity of Karen has plummeted in the last couple yes, of years. Yes, it has. The K in J.K. Rawlings, her fake middle name, actually stands for Kathleen. She mm. chose it to be Kathleen. So still two to one, Brian. J.R. Ewing. Yes. In the uh, the villainous yes. the villainous central character in Dallas, uh, spawned one of the most popular pot, uh, plot lines ever in the Who Shot J.R. season finale, a cliffhanger that ended with J.R. shot. Who ultimately shot Jr.? His wife, Sue Ellen, who had spent most of the marriage dealing with Jr.'s alcoholism and affairs, and her fingerprints were actually found on the gun. Dusty Harlow, Sue Ellen's lover, who had disappeared in a plane crash. His sister-in-law, Kristen Shepard, who was also his mistress and the alleged mother of his child. Or his brother, Bobby, played by Patrick Duffy, the virtuous one and therefore an enemy of Jr. JB goes first. Some bad people. It gotta be whoever disappeared in the plane crash. All the other <laughs> ones sound too, too possible. So Dusty, you're saying it's Dusty Farlow. Is that option two? That is option this two. This is all so far over my <laughs> Dusty <head>. Farlow <laughs> sounds like such a made-up name. Well, it, it is. I, I, I understand that. <laughs> but like, it sounds like the kind of thing, like the cop pulls you over. Uh, son, what's your name? Dusty Farlow. You're Dusty Farlow. Yes, yes, that's my name. Yeah, it's a fake ID name. Um, I'm gonna say it's it's uh it was the it was the sun. There is no sun. I thought you said it was the sun, was the last one. No, his brother. Brother, brother, brother. I'm going with the brother. No, it's his sister-in-law, Kristen Shepard. Um JR ultimately, though, did not press charges because she had claimed she was pregnant with his child as a result of their affair. Mm-hmm. J.R. Smith, a uh, Laker legend, now has a ring with them. Among active players, does J.R. rank higher with three-point makes or three-point takes? Among active players, rank higher with three-point makes or takes? Brian goes first. Ooh, he certainly is a gunner, and they don't it go in very often. Very, <laughs> it, but he's been around close. a while. Very close, it, like in, among all-time players, ranked higher makes yeah. or takes. Very close. He's been around a while, so he's got. I'm going to say makes. JB, I don't think you'd be asking the question if it was takes. So I'll go makes as well. Just well, that was the logic. Actually, good job. He is yeah. sixth among active players for makes. Nineteen, uh, one thousand nine hundred thirty. Seventh for takes with five thousand one hundred seventy-eight. So three to Jeez. two, three to two. Isaiah Rafting off of Brian here. Oh, the 50 50s. <laughs> smart, it's a smart way to do it. Yeah. We got two more. Isaiah Ryder, uh, known to his friends as JR, member of the 2001 Lakers championship squad, uh, although deactivated in the playoffs. Also in 19- once shot by his mistress. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure it wasn't the uh, sister in law? Um, or the well, one who disappeared in the plane crash. Well played. Uh, in Dusty 19, Harlow. In 1994, J.R. Ryder was part of an album called B-Ball's Best Kept Secret, which featured different, <laughs> I'm not joking about this, featured different songs performed by NBA players, Gary Payton, Jason Kidd, Brian Shaw, Chris Mills. Which was the name of the song that Ryder appeared on? 
funk in the trunk, all funk, no bunk, funking and dunking, crunked out, funked out. <laughs> JB goes first. One of those I swear is real. Funk in the funk trunk. In the trunk is a great name. Trunk, all that's my favorite, but funking and dunking feels like all long. funk, no bunk. Yeah. Funking and dunking, crunked out, funked out. Yeah, it could be that. I'll go with I'll go with dunking. Okay, Brian. I did this album sell more or fewer albums than Troy Hudson? <laughs> I don't know. Troy Hudson, the former point guard, sold it. It was how many albums? It was like seventy-three copies or something, something like, like that. Yeah. It was like seventy. It was I'm, going, a, I'm going funk in the trunk. It is funk in the trunk. Was the uh, name nice of the song? That's the best one. Yeah. It is the best one. And that, yeah. by the way, is what people say when they look at my rear end. <laughs> Last one. Brian is up four two, but JB, as luck would have it, the next, the last question is worth. Three, so <laughs> you have the opportunity to actually win this just randomly happens to be worth very arbitrary. JT, Please make it a 50-50. JT Walsh, the, the late great character actor, uh, probably best known for his role as Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Markinson, mm -hmm. the soldier who kills himself because he can't handle the truth about what happened with Willie Santiago and the code red that was called. If you don't remember who I'm talking about, it's this gent right here. Mm -hmm. uh, everyone remembers him. He's an awesome actor. It would have been so much better if you put up the picture of Beverly Cleary. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, did, he was, you know, the missed Code opportunity. Code Red, as everyone remembers, was called by Colonel Jessup, played by Jack Nicholson. What other movie did J.T. Walsh appear with Jack Nicholson? Wolf, Hoffa, Batman, or The Two Jakes, the uh, ill-begotten sequel to Chinatown? Brian goes first. Hmm. Wolf, Hoffa, Batman, yeah. Two Jakes. That guy's a kindergarten teacher. <laughs> yes, I forgot about him. <laughs> true story. Yeah, that's a true story, baby. We're he not is lying. a kindergarten teacher. And here, let's let's <laughs> two people who probably don't have a lot in common. Um, <laughs> sorry. You know what that kid? You know what that guy didn't do? Run around with galoshes and a, a rain. <laughs> no, um, you know I can't figure out how to get back to our screen. Anyway, um, I have no idea. I'm going to say the two Jakes. Uh, I was inclined to take that too, but since this is worth three, and I have to differentiate myself, I'm going to have to roll the dice on another option. Um, Do you want me to repeat them again? Hoffa, Wolf. Batman. Hoffa, Wolf, Batman, the two Jakes. Hoffa. JB. JB, you are good. You pulled it out. No, I'm not Hoffa. good. He was in Hoffa the same year with Jack Nicholson. JB. Oh, all right. Winner Can I Google it now? I just want to see. I want to see what that looked like. I was trying to respect the game and not Google it. No, I appreciate that. Nicely done, this isn't man. That was this really isn't good. Him on the cover, is it? Hmm. I'll look it up after the show. Good it, work, was, it was, it was, it was hard to pick him out because um, he was sort of unrecognizable. What era was Dallas? That was the other question I was going to ask. When Dallas? Eighties. That's actually a picture of in in Hoffa's. That's probably why you didn't recognize him. <laughs> Well, that, uh, that, that 
I was in this, kindergarten. This can't go. I can't keep going back and forth with this enough. Like <laughs> this guy, very well might read books by this woman <laughs> to, his, to his class. <laughs> Camera one, <laughs> camera two. Just saying. <laughs> it's an interesting contrast. Be Beverly's going to make for a great holiday season guest for you guys. I'm excited for that. Oh, no. She's going to be good. That would be amazing yeah. if we got her. Just that would right be there between Thanksgiving like, and it, Christmas. You always know until you ask, right? That is true. We, we, we never asked for Beverly Cleary. She's going to be, she's gonna be um, your NBA season preview, I think. She seems more of a TikTok lady <laughs> than this format. She seems more of a TikToker. I don't know. What if she's a Blazers fan? We don't know. That is true. For all we, for all we know, she's a huge fan of us. She actually, you know, she, <laughs> she might follow us on Twitter. Yeah, she. You know what? She may have been watching us and paying a lot of attention to us during the first round of the playoffs. That's right. Like she might be like she might be like Halsey and have like a, a whole basketball Twitter handle that nobody knows about <laughs> Beverly Cleary and one speaking right. of, can, can I get one question? Can I get one question in before you guys call it a night? You, sure. you probably answered this ad nauseum. So I apologize, but how do you manage the joint Twitter account? It's not hard. We just, we, we are each short two characters, every tweet we send. Yeah. No, I know, but it's, like, at what point did you decide like, this is the direction we're going with that? And cause, oh, cause, it was, it was you, how we, it was how we started, work. and then it got to a point where, like, it made sort of no sense. It was sort of a – then it was just sort of the thing that we did. And then it got to the point where for somebody else to start their own handle, mm -hmm. like, you're giving up – that deal. You know, the, the right. truly extensive reach, the powerful reach that we have as social media. But it's like – it's kind of antithetical to the – platform and the design right there's but a like, lot that we do wrong have, <laughs> generally you guys have made your and then that was the other thing i'm glad you told that part of the story is at some point you get far enough down the road where you cannot unwind that right? yeah and so what, what you're okay. asking is why did you decide to mismanage your twitter <laughs> like, like what, this, what this whole partnership is a testament to getting too far down the road to unwind it <laughs> that's basically yeah. how the last it's like the last eight years when we, when we I mean, talk to those journalists uh journalism students and they ask us for advice we say do you have a sibling don't work with don't him. work with them don't <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that'd be the first bit of advice we have do, do your own thing don't don't go this route. Get your own yeah. Twitter account. Yeah, Brian actually briefly started his own Twitter account. It was well, just for it was a bit. It was more of a radio bit to find out how many followers I could get by the end of the show. Mm -hmm. um, how many do I have? Like, there is a Brian Kamenetsky Twitter account. It is essentially I have fourteen hundred and fifty-two followers. Do you really have that many? Yeah, I'm shocked. I'm shocked. It's Why? That. Why are you shocked? Hold on one second. My kids yelling. Because I just didn't think you did the bit that long, and I didn't think you actually put it out there enough for people to find out about it. I, I'm just shocked. I'm shocked that I yeah, that. we did a radio bit in in uh, twenty looks like twenty eighteen, something like that. And I'm I tried it out, and we we figured out, and I got about a thousand followers, and then it kind of tapped out, and then I forgot about it. And then unwind it is like a nice concise little. Twitter bio there though I might I might steal that <laughs> for my own purposes. You know, it's, it's always awkward to be like, what do you put there? You kind of tout your personal beliefs or your career placement or something you read recently. This is where I put all Too my far Twitter down the road stuff. to unwind it. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's, that's actually that's a great epitaph. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 
So a lot of times I feel that way. Just yeah. too far down the road to unwind it. Yeah. <laughs> Good talk, JB. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And on that nice depressing note. Yeah, man. No, depressing fun, about man. it. Thank you I, uh, very much. I get a kick out of you guys. I admire you guys, and uh, we it's good to have reasons to reconnect, right? And obviously, you know, we enjoy we enjoy everything you do with the Rams. It, I when I get a chance to listen in the car, because you know, not, who's driving you know, these days? That's well, not a good question. No, but I'm saying in the past when right. I was wow. in a car, it, it's always great stuff. And again, the the God's work you do putting up with Demarco. Yeah. Is just it's amazing. <laughs> I'll be sure to tell them uh, we connected. Give me a prediction. Give me a uh, give me a sixteen game record for the Rams that I can hold you to. I'm going to say ten and six. I think I think they'll they'll figure out a way to go five and three. I'm a little. I mean the the back end of that schedule is really brutal. But I you know a couple places where they're opening up. I think they're a little better than Arizona. San Francisco game gets a little easier now. There are enough winnable games on the schedule. I think they can go five and three. I'm going to be optimistic and say that this buy really allows them to help work some things out. And I am going to go 11 and five. I'm going to say 11 and five. I, I look, we began, Brian, you remember before the season, I was more bullish on the Rams than you were. I know, but still, well, but I mean, but they're also, they've got a good foundation. They've got a good foundation and you know, they might catch a little bit of a break with the Niners and you know, we'll see. I'm going to go 11 and I'm going to, I'm going to screw it. 11 and five. Why not? Why not? Well, you can definitely you can definitely unwind that on Monday night show, and I'll never. <laughs> I mean, look, look they, they play for all it. the you know the Patriots game isn't as hard I think now as it looked like it could be still right. you know, but you know they the, the, they they do have the Jets. Um, so you, you know, bank so the two, two AFC ones that puts you at seven, right? And, and so you, you know, get the I'll say the nine you know Niners Jets Patriots become very winnable games, right? So that's um, Seahawks, right? Eight. Seahawks. Is a, is a because all this home, you know, home and road. I mean, everything's basically a neutral field at this point. Uh, you know, but you got to fly back east, but it's a late game against the Buccaneers, so that probably helps a little bit. Figure you split against the Cardinals, yeah, split against that's five and three. I think I got it about right. McVay's never lost to the Cardinals. I know this is a different Cardinals team, but uh, to, to the point about how well you know your division and how well you match up against certain teams, so far, so good on that front. This Cardinals team, by the way, is so much fun to watch. They They're are cool, aren't they? Oh, man. Like, Brian and I, we'll let you go in a sec, but Brian and I grew up in St. Louis, and, you know, I was a big fan of the then St. Louis Cardinals, which were just torturous to watch. And when they moved to Arizona, I felt personally affronted by the Bidwell mm-hmm. family. And also, this was before the, you know, the age of, you know, NFL packages and it being much easier to follow a team from a distance. But at 13, I didn't know where the future was headed and I abandoned the Cardinals. And I kind of wish I hadn't because this team would be so much fun. Yeah, to Kyler Murray, just like Neil Lomax. Same well, guy. Yeah, they're different. And, uh, and Seattle's different too. I mean, who would have thought we'd be talking about, can you score enough to keep up with the Seahawks and, and that their defense, I mean, getting Adams back, I think is going to settle things in, but um, Russell Wilson. So yeah, you, you, God, he's good. He's playing great right now. But again, uh, Aaron's been his kryptonite. You know, yeah. No, they've, they've so always performed well against that team. Even when they weren't good, they've played Seattle really well. I think last three four years. Record. I beat you know, that'll get him in, obviously, and then it's a game or two better than I thought they'd be coming into the season. So this seventh playoff spot is game changer. Yeah, I know it's, it's fun. Especially, especially that that schedule. All right, we well, should let you go so you can go to sleep because you have children. They're they, don't, you they don't care that you were up late. 
Um, no, but these are the these are the good hours. I got the house to myself. It's awesome. Nice. Very nice. <laughs> it's good stuff. I want to know, like, what does you turn it like Tom Cruise? You you put on the old time rock and roll, just slide around the house. <laughs> no, no, no. This, I'm I'm glad I haven't woken any of them up. Actually, just kind of here in the kitchen with my voice. But uh, thankfully, they're good sleepers, and sound machines are a godsend. So, oh, they are. Yeah. Um. All right, JV Long, voice of the Rams. Uh, thank you so much again for the time. It was a great to catch up with you. Good to see you. Like literally, good, good to, to see you. you. Um, Monday, we are still kind of putting together next week. Uh, next week, Monday, Linda Cohn. We do know that. Uh, the legendary uh, anchor and radio host and you know TV host and whatever. Uh, so she's coming on on Monday, and the, and we got Jordan Rodriguez on Thursday, and we'll fill in the blanks in between. No, we are we are uh, endeavoring to get a few. Yeah, we are endeavoring to get a few other uh, pretty cool different guests. So right. uh, fingers crossed, we'll be able to land those, and it should be a none lot of, of fun. which are Demarco Far. <laughs> uh, <laughs> No, well, we, we love having uh, we love having Jordan on the beat. What a great addition she's she been, is um, awesome. to have here in Los Angeles. She and she's been good on on your guys' platform too. Oh, so, oh yeah. she's great. Our audience loves. Because like you, you have her on for an hour, and you just learn so much about football mm-hmm. and what teams yeah. are doing. Like she's fantastic. So yeah, we she, try to get yeah, on as she, much as we can. We don't want to abuse like the hey, do you want to come on like <laughs> twice a week? It's like it's an hour at ten o'clock at night. No, I don't. Um, but yeah, so we'll see you soon, man. Thanks so much. You got, I got some movies and TV shows to watch and a book to read before I see you again. Take care. There you go, man. Catching the ride. Think of, uh, Holden Caulfield. Don't you need a lot? <laughs>